RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. You might remember back in, well, it was the end of April, we spoke to Professor Ananish Chalhuri, and that was about his controversial book. It was a new book at that point, Nudged into Lockdown, Behavioral Economics, Uncertainty, and COVID-19. Professor Chalhuri is back with us. Ananish, thanks for coming back to RCR. It's nice to have you. Uh, thank you very much, Paul. Thanks for having me back. Okay, we're here to talk about um, a piece that you've written in the Bassett, Brash, and Hyde.com blog. Claims about New Zealand saving 20,000 COVID lives are inaccurate and meaningless. What are you referring to there, Ananish, in that headline? So I'm referring to two things. One is that this notion of lives saved is really not meaningful because this is not a meaningful metric. So if you look at Pharmac, for instance, right? When Pharmac decides what drugs to fund and what drugs not to fund, they look at something called QALY, which basically stands for quality adjusted life years. Right. right? That's a bit of a jargon, but that basically means first, how many life years have we saved? And then they kind of make some adjustments for, you know, are those years kind of of high quality or not, right? So, is, so just, is, that, is that years added to the normal life expectancy? Is that is that how that works? No, I since I don't do this, I don't know the exact details of that calculation. Right. Okay. But what that means yeah. is that let's say New Zealand's average life expectancy is 82. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And you save the life of one person who's healthy and 80 years old. So let's assume that it's all quality adjusted. If you save that one life, that's two years of life saved. Okay. Whereas if something saved the life of a five year old, that's 77 years of life saved. So basically, in deciding which drugs to fund and which not to fund, they look at, you know, dollar for dollar, how many life years will this save? Not just number of lives. It's pretty clear in that example, you know, what you'd fund on that basis. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So so life save doesn't mean all that much, right? Because, look, I mean, I'm sure you'll understand this, right? That we we die at some point. We do. Yeah, that's true. And so... Uh, when you look at deaths, you also need to look at what's called the background mortality, that at what rage do people pass away, right? So if a disease doesn't change the background mortality, for instance, if a disease mostly kills, let's say, people in their 80s, and that's when people generally die, then the disease is not killing, uh, you know, it's not yeah. leading to yeah. a loss of younger life. So that's that's one issue, that the life-saved measure doesn't seem to mean all that much, and therefore public health people uh, don't use that measure all that much. Now, the, the 20,000 figure is a, can we call it a claim, made by Michael Baker. We know who Michael Baker, Baker is. They were claiming that New Zealand had saved at least 20,000 lives from COVID death, and that got quite a bit of exposure. Now, on our radio station, we've had other people who have had figures leaked to them, um, and um, and we've talked about this a bit, that show that actually there is a significant excess um, mortality rate, and it tracks with the rollout of the vaccine. So something isn't right here. 
this is not my area of work. And no, so no, I don't have yeah. the exact numbers. I know that some people have shown that there have been excess mortality in New Zealand. Well, um, um, St. John Ambulance has had 63,000 more call-outs in the last 12 months. We know that because they've stated that in their latest um, solicitation for donations. So something's up. But, okay, I understand that that... Correct. That so is, I... Yeah. Yes, hand on heart, I cannot really comment on that. What I can yeah. comment on is what appears in the paper, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, much of the paper is fairly unobjectionable. It talks about the pandemic lifestyle, etc. But then you get to an appendix where um, they reproduce some data from this outfit called Our World in Data, which is a great, uh, great resource. And they show excess mortality in different countries. Now, what does excess mortality mean? That means that, you know, at any point of time, you have a historical rates of death and other deaths more than that. So they look at that. And out of those, the United States turns out to be have the highest excess mortality uh, of, let's say, about 4,000 per million. And then they say, oh, well, New Zealand has 5 million people. So if we had 4,000 excess deaths, that would be 20,000 deaths, right? Right, yeah. But this is a completely unsupportable claim for many reasons, right? For, because first... Uh, we don't know that these excess deaths are COVID deaths. Second, we don't know. When, what when you say COVID deaths, are we talking about deaths as a result of a COVID infection? Is that what you mean by that? Correct. I mean, let's. Yeah. I mean, I'm even leaving that aside because you are well aware that there is a lot of controversy about what is a COVID death versus what is not a COVID. Being death, shot in right? the driveway and testing positive was a COVID death. Correct. So, so yeah. in New Zealand, UK also, for instance, if you died of anything within 28 days of being tested for positive, that was considered a COVID death, right? Whereas in Singapore, it was only a COVID death if you were positive in a post-mortem PCR. So obviously, you know, and even Ashley Bloomfield has said that, yes, there is, I mean, in the article, I provide a link where Ashley Bloomfield says, yes, now there's some doubt about this. But anyway, let's leave to the side. So you don't know what the what the benchmark is. And then all of a sudden, why are we multiplying the US number by five, right? Why is the US or the UK uh, our best comparisons? In fact, even on their data, they show that, well, if you multiply by Sweden, then it's only 7,500 lives dead. So I said, well, then you should probably say that, well, we probably saved anything between 8,000 and 20,000 lives. Right. And then I said, well, maybe our best comparators are other 5 million people countries like Denmark, Finland, or uh, Norway. And then the number of lives saved would be much lower. Um, New Zealand is an island. So maybe our best comparison is Australia, where excess deaths are even lower. So in the absence of any corroborative supporting evidence, I just didn't see how that claim can be made and or why the claim was made and how that can be reported so widely because it's 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 numerically inaccurate. Right. Even if you accept all their arguments. I mean, besides leaving aside the point that, you know, we don't know where the excess mortality is coming from, right? Yeah, because, okay. um, you know, you have COVID deaths, but then the lockdowns have led to many other deaths, the deaths to other factors. So we don't know where those deaths are coming from. Right. So I found the whole thing somewhat 
surprising given that the numbers don't stack up and um, and again life save doesn't seem like a meaningful measure and one thing that is also surprising and i, I might have to say a couple of things about this uh, if i have time is why aren't the journalists reporting this maybe just checking these numbers i thought that double sourcing was a re- requirement for reporters that you check with somebody by saying you know so and so is saying this what do you think especially with um stories that uh, have statistics at their core because we know what what's the old saying lies lies and damn statistics <laughs> right i mean that's journalism 101 to yes. know that um there's an issue always with statistics you really have to drill down into them so do you think that in this case um michael baker has um, whatever methodology he's used or, or his team have used, they've gone for the most optimistic um, um, end of the range that they could ever, they thought could credibly quote, and that is that 20,000. Look, I mean, if you want to be charitable, maybe that's not what they said. Somehow that got, that's how it got reported. But there's no methodology as such. It's just, yeah. I mean, the paper isn't about this. The paper is just about kind of what happened during the pandemic and, you know, what steps were taken and things like this. Then all of a sudden, there's a small section in the appendix where this number appears. And it's not as if that they have crunched the numbers to show that this is what would happen or that these are COVID deaths or this is indeed attributable to this particular cause. None of those things are true. It's just almost a throwaway. It's like one paragraph in a fairly longish paper. So I'm not even sure how that even became the headline. Well, um, I've seen it uh, quoted by many people on social media, this figure, recently, you know, as a rebuttal to anyone with any criticism. Well, I have seen 20,000 lives, you know. <laughs> Which is why I got hold of a copy of the paper and I thought, okay, let me read this and see where this is coming from. And I was, I was, I was surprised, to be honest with you, because I thought that this paper was devoted or kind of, you know, that was the main focus. It is really not. It's just a broad overview paper on, you know, what happened in COVID, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and things along those lines. And they go along, and as I said, it's fairly unobjectionable most of the time, except for one place where they say, oh, you know, we, sh- we suggest that other diseases, respiratory diseases like COVID should also be treated in a similar manner. And I said, wow, you know, are you saying that now we should have lockdowns for influenza or RSV? But other than that, it's just a broad overview. And passes and QR codes and mandatory. <laughs> Correct. And Which, mandated out of jobs. Are you serious? What planet are these people on? Well, as I, as I mentioned to you earlier, I mean, look, if you're a, if you're a medical person, you obviously focus on the problem in front of you when you say, you know, we have to be, you know, as stringent as possible. Yeah. And you advocate for your cause. And then, you know, the policymakers have to look at the various trade-offs and, you know, uh, what the, what the pros and cons are. So, okay. But then uh, this appendix, you get to the appendix, and then this is one paragraph on excess mortality. And then they say, oh, well, uh, as I said, I mean, the U.S. would be the highest possible number. If you take Sweden, then, you know, it'd be like 8,000. So, yeah. So so how do you you decide which, which range, which end to pick? 
No, but I mean, as I said, the the paper is not about that. And if you wrote yeah. a paper about yeah, but that, but if you got a stat, you've got to you've got to show how you got to it, right? You just can't yeah. pluck it out of the at the at the very least. Then and look now, suppose you take the position that I didn't realize that this would become the headline. Though, oh come know, on, I, come on! I, look, I, if anyone saved twenty thousand lives, they've got a sir. They are the hero of the year. They will be written about for decades to come. Savior of the nation. Come on. <laughs> so then, right? It seems we should be, we should provide some caveats. You should yes. say, okay, here are the ranges. Here are some confidence intervals. We may we may be wrong. You know, this is the lower end. As I said, look, if you want to take the charitable view, maybe they said those things, but somehow the reporters wrote this up as 20,000 lives saved. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm no, giving them the benefit of, of the know, doubt. Really. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird in a way. Because if you were really certain about that, that would be... That would be the headline. That would be the number one point. You'd hammer it. You'd be on every media saying, we are wonderful. We saved 20,000. People would be bowing at your feet. Thank you so much, Michael Baker, Ashley Bloomfield, your heroes. But that's... As I said, yes. So that's, that's almost like a like a little passing thing in the paper. That's not what the paper is about. And as I said, it's not done with any amount of technical rigor or it's almost like a like an example. Oh, if this happened, then, you know, um, if we had excess debts, again, it's ignoring, as I said, ignoring all of the other issues, you know, where are the excess debts coming from? Is this the good benchmark? So if you... But it doesn't uh, track with what... what... <laughs> Okay, it's anecdotal, but because no one is willing to, you know, whistleblow or anything. But everything we hear, we hear a lot because we talk to a lot of people. We get back-channel stuff. We get people giving us stats and figures that don't want to go public but are passing it to us. The hospitals are overloaded. The ambulance Correct. services are overloaded. Um, unprecedented amount of heart and stroke problems. Uh, there are turbo cancers. Now, okay, there might be a whole bunch of different reasons for that, but these things seem to be happening. So uh, a figure like this kind of has a very awkward feel to it. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so I, that's why yeah. I wrote it. I mean, I, I saw this and I said, wait, um, let me see exactly <laughs> how did they come up with this number? So I, you know, I'm not a medical person. Of course. So not, I went right. to the NZMJ and managed to get a copy PDF of them. I just, it has just appeared. It appeared on 6th of October. So I read it and I said, well, this doesn't, this is not very, very rigorous. This is not, <laughs> this doesn't, I mean, given how much uh, exposure the number has received, it's not really justified by the analysis. Now, they may be right, but the analysis does not back up that claim. Yeah. If they want to make the claim, they need to do a lot better. And also, they need to submit to peer review, get people to look at these numbers, check their calculations. It's, Considering it just, that's all we, we ever hear from from people that, you know, if it's not peer reviewed, it's kind of not credible. It's not peer reviewed. I, I don't know if this one is particularly. I say this. It's it's a viewpoint article. I don't know if it's peer reviewed yeah. I, or not, but this wouldn't satisfy any serious person with kind of knowledge of statistics and data and econometrics. That all of a sudden you just pick out some arbitrary numbers and say, okay, this is what happened. This this won't fly. As a um, 
as a professor and um, and an expert in the area of of numbers, economics, etc., behavioral economics. Actually, this is right in your wheelhouse because there is a behavioral aspect to this. Let's say because it, it feels like you know the ground is being kind of um, not prepared, but uh, um, laid out in a particular way to have a behavioral response to those who might see that figure. That's a long winded way of putting it. But um, what does it say about the credibility of of the people putting out? And, and I know you say it's it's kind of more like a mention than a main point. But if you're going to put out statistics like that that have that involve such a serious thing, and it's once over lightly, what does that say for for credibility? <laughs> well, I, I I have kind of private thoughts, and you know it. These are these are kind of fellow academics, but I think the point has been noted that in all of the analysis that we saw during the pandemic, uh, much of this was not peer reviewed by others. You know, a lot of it was kind of reports that did not go through any kind of rigorous testing. Um, yeah. So. Yes, yeah, so we were, we were a bit anyone, lacking in that. <laughs> any in criticism, that. though, was met with, well, you're not an expert, it's not peer-reviewed, you're not credible, go away. But here, here I mean, here, here we have this same very thing happening here. Correct. The standards being applied to different people were not quite the same, that's that's for sure. What sort of work uh, do they have to do then, let's say, if, if uh, the, to come back and clarify? What work um, has to be done here? to satisfy someone like you who's looking at it with all that experience and um and sort of running the slide rule over it oh that's not not so easy to answer mostly mostly because um there's a lot of uncertainty about some of this for instance you would have to know you know deaths from covid versus deaths not from covid uh you would have to you would have to correct for say population density population size whether the country had land borders or not you would have to look at the uh, the demographic profile for instance if you know as you know our countries are getting older we are getting older and older right so a country that has a relatively older population would report possibly report more deaths yeah. than than a country that has a younger population and that might be above or below historical trends uh if you had like if you go back to Sweden, for instance, you will find that in in 2000, Sweden had significantly higher debts. And most people say, oh, this is because of COVID. But in 1999, Sweden actually had a lower than average debt. So sometimes this, some people call this the dry tinder effect. So because you had a lower than average, then you would expect to see, you might expect to see a higher than average the next year because just because of this thing called regression to the mean that, you know, things kind of tend to go back to the average. So without knowing any of those things, it is very difficult to to argue this. But now even there, people would have lots of questions, but at the very least, you would have to undertake what in economics we call regression analysis or you know, social, other social scientists do it looking at this when you while you control for various things population density uh, population size i mean you cannot just compare new zealand australia or united states united states has 330 million people we have yeah 
okay. five. You would have yeah. to think about the the socioeconomic differences. So, so this is not an easy question, but it would have to be a lot more. Even when you do a lot more rigorous work, people would still ask questions. But it would certainly have to be a lot more rigorous. If I can find this just by reading the paper, I'm saying, wait a second, this cannot be right. Then, you know, this you have to do a lot more careful analysis before you can make these kinds of claims. Have you heard anyone else say that? This can't be right. Or um, any of your... I, I haven't. I, I no. didn't. I just um, I just read this, and I I did I did check with two of my two colleagues, one in the medical school here, and one in economics at Waikato, and they said yes, and you're right, and I kind of sent it off. And it just passed without any comment. That's apart from you and us talking about it now. No one questioned it. Correct. Correct. So That's that has incredible. been a lot. Yes, there has been. Uh, yes, so I mean, um, just on a different issue, I just posted something on LinkedIn where I said that, look, you know, I have a message for the journalist that you need to ask these questions, right? And in a in a in a democracy, the job of the fourth estate is to essentially act as an opposition, right? Yeah, governments have lots of resources to get their message out. Journalists don't need to help them. Journalists just need to keep asking, you know, questions, hard questions. And we didn't have that. We certainly did not have that during the pandemic. Uh, yeah, but you know that, um, again, back to the behavioral part of this, and I know journalists in the media, is that there was such a one-sided um, narrative supporting um, reporting um, of this whole thing through the period that to even question a story or a figure like that and make a story of that is to admit that you are on the wrong side of it all. Hmm. And the whole thing can unravel on you. So I think that it would be fair to say that there is an incentive to bury the head and just hope that this whole thing passes. We don't want to um, uh, mention anything that might, uh, um, you know, trigger people to say, well, 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 hang on here. You, you back then you said you know they don't want that, so maybe that explains the lack of it, it interest. Might, it's yes. a I willful mean, lack of interest. Yes, I mean we, we, you know, it's it's. I actually even say this in my book. It's actually psychologically difficult to say I was wrong. Yeah, or you know I got this wrong. It's not not easy. It feels good once you've done it, but yeah, to get <laughs> to that, right? To get and, to that, and somehow. Um, you know, you appear to be a flip flopper, and we don't like flip floppers. But, but as as they say, you know, when the facts change, you know, I think John Maynard Keynes said this. He said, you know, when the facts change, I change my mind. What about you? Yeah. And you know, yeah. it's 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 clear that there is some um, you know lingering unwillingness to to own up. Um, to own up, I, yeah. yeah I just want to say one thing before I forget. So I sure. recently, um, I recently talked to a PhD student from the University of Edinburgh who's writing a dissertation on you know COVID and what happened, and she mentioned to me that she knew about my book, but she had heard my interview on your show. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I said, oh, that's very interesting. So she said, I heard you talk on Paul Brennan Reality Check Radio. <laughs> and uh, and so I thought I would reach out to you and, you know, I, I have your book. So I thought that was, you, you have Boy, massive. Get, 
gets out there, doesn't it? It gets it does. out there. It does. You have massive reach. Uh, well, I feel good about that. Yes. I'm, I, and I'm pleased that we could have, in our own sort of way, connect correct. these people with you and from little old here. Correct. No, you should feel, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know how much you know about your reach, but it seems seems huge. Wow. Okay. Well, that somebody from Edinburgh is reaching out. Have heard you me on your show, so I thought this was pretty good. Fantastic. Well, who knows where this one will go then? Yeah, I don't know either. Yes. Get ready for the phone to ring again. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if people want to read what you have written, it's on the Bass at Brash and High dot com uh, website. It's a post by Ananish Chaudhuri. And um, uh, the headline claims about New Zealand saving 20,000 COVID lives. Inaccurate and meaningless. And Ananish, great to have you back. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you, Paul. And we'll have another chat sometime soon, I am sure. Thank you. Thank you very much. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.